Amen. You know, we look back on our childhoods, and uh, my parents weren't Christian. They were both alcoholics, in fact. And I thought I was raised in a really healthy home. (laughs) Um, But I think it's because I came to know Jesus when I was in college. And I think it's because God had a way of filling up all the things I lacked from my childhood. He had to fill in those spots. And he has a way of, only he can do that. Only he can fill up the holes in our life. You know, so we don't have to live broken. We can live healed. We don't have to live with holes in our heart. We can live with our heart filled full. Because no matter what your parents did, no matter how you were raised, <laughs> it wasn't good enough. Okay? It wasn't perfect. Because your parents weren't perfect and you weren't perfect. And... um I just want you to know if there's an area in your life where you've said, you know, I didn't feel this, I wasn't supported, I wasn't loved, I wasn't, I was ridiculed, I was this, I was that. Just say, God, would you, would you heal that part? <laughs> would you make, would you fill up that, that emptiness in me? Those holes in my life, God, f- fill it up full so I don't have to walk around with those empty spots and those holes. And my God is able to do that. Isn't that grand? You know, no human being can do that, folks. So if you think when you get married, your mate will do it, sorry. They can't do it. Those, those wonderful men that you will marry, you young ladies, you think, man, those guys are going to just you know, make me feel grand and perfect. Forget it. Don't even put those expectations on them because they can't. You know, only the Father can fill that spot in your heart. Okay? O- only he can make you feel, you know. And you guys who think that woman who looks up to you and bats those beautiful eyelashes and says, wow, you're the man of my dreams, will fill those spots in you, it won't. Don't. You know, only the Father can do that. Okay? So uh, I, I, just, I just felt like today, since this is a special day for me, I had to share it with you. Okay? Is that okay? Yeah. Um. <clears throat> I have a little piece of paper, I think, in here. I, uh, I wanted to share with you that I'm, like many of you, I'm, I'm saying, God, I want to know you more. You know, I thought I knew you when I got born again. Then I thought maybe 10 years, 20 years, you know, I'm older and older. I'm thinking, okay, I want to know you more. I still, there's things I don't know. And I thought about how do I know a person? You know, if, if, if I want to get to know you know, Christian over here. I, I want to know, okay, Christian, tell me, uh, what do you like? What, what, you know, if I want to go get to know him, I need to know the kinds of things that are important to him, right? If I know the things that are important to him, then I know a lot about him, okay? Um, what, what's important to you? What do you like? What, what, any of those? Okay, so she likes, she really likes children. So, you know, when I get to know that fact about her and I watch her around children, then I get to know her better. Okay? Because I see the things that are important and valuable to her, the things that perhaps she enjoys, whether it's, whether it's a food or whether it's people or whatever it is, I get to know what's important to her. 
And what I'm finding is if we want to know what's more about our father, I need to know what's important to him. What's his priorities? You know, I already know what mine are. <laughs> and, and oftentimes they're not so swell. So I better start thinking about what his are. What are, what are the father's priorities? What are his, the things that he thinks are valuable and important? And uh, for men, it's usually, um, or for human beings, I should say, women and men, it's uh, what's important to us? Well, our jobs, uh, prestige or power, money is important, stuff is important, a house is important, you know, all all of these kinds of things. Maybe your family is important. We have lots of things that we would say are our priorities. But you know what? Money's not so important to God. <laughs> it's not on his list. Okay? Uh, power and position, uh, well, the, he already has that. So, I mean, that, that kind of came, came, came with the turf when he became God. So, let's see. You know, we, don't, we didn't have to worry about power and position, so he doesn't have to strive for that. That's not important to him. Um, Things, well, he owns it all, so he, he doesn't worry about things, he doesn't worry about houses, he doesn't worry about all those things that we desire and want and that we long for, he, he, that's not it. But you know what he longs for? He longs for people. You and me. And I recognized a few years ago that God says he seeks, he looks for people. Now let me go through that word, what the word seek means. Seek, he's a seeker of certain kinds of people. He seeks, that means he's longing for, yearning for, looking for something as, it's a as if it's a treasure. Okay, it's the needle in the haystack. It's a something that's so special, he's looking and looking for that special thing. It's something that's rare, okay? Not something that's a common occurrence. He's looking for something, a treasure, something that's special, something that's rare, okay? It's something that's not common. He's not looking for the common everyday thing. That's the word seek. If, you know, if I'm saying, uh, I'm looking for somebody who has black hair. Well, that, that, that's not, that's pretty obvious in this room, okay? So, we, you know, we, we, now if I say, I'm looking for a blonde, okay, then we, gotta, we can kind of look around and see if there's somebody who has blonde hair. Or if I'm looking for a redhead, look for somebody with red hair. But do you see what I'm saying? So when I'm looking, that word seek means I'm looking for something that's not common. I'm looking for something that's rare. Now, the scripture says Jesus seeks people but only the word seeking people only came only comes three times. I looked for the word seek. He seeks different things. He seeks for honor and glory, but he seeks three kinds of people. Those are the ones he's looking up for. Okay. You know, you you can write this down, but it's going to be real easy. I hope that when you go go tomorrow, you'll remember it. Okay, because it's I'm just going to give you three little deals right here. Real, this is going to be a real simple message. Louis Giglio told me if you have more than one point to your sermon, that's too, too many. Or if you have one point to your sermon, that's plenty. Three points is too, too many. You know, but I've got three things. And if you look at the scriptures, Jesus is seeking, okay, that's looking real carefully, for only three kinds. Okay? So I'm going to talk about those three. The first one comes from John 4. Uh, so if you have the Bible, a Bible, you want to look it up with me? 
Because what I'm here to say is when you look for what's important to Jesus, you're going to know a lot about him. If you see what's important to God, and these are something he's looking for, so he's searching these. These are important to him. John 4, this is the story of the woman at the well. Oh, I've just got this great teaching on the woman at the well, but for another time. Uh, I actually did. I wrote this great one to speak somewhere, and I never went. And I spent like six hours preparing. I got so excited, and I didn't use it. So I'm like, someday I'll come back. and It's really grand. But he's meeting this woman at the well who's very unsatisfied. He gives her water. He says, you take this water, and you'll never thirst again. You know, it'll satisfy every thirst, this living water. And then he says, as only Jesus, you know, you notice he asks a lot of questions. I, I, I love his technique. He never just slams somebody. He just asks them a question. And then when those Pharisees demand things of him, he just asks them a question back. And it just nails them. You know, it just, it gets them every time. Uh, so I love this. He says uh, in verse 16, well, it wasn't a question, but he says, you know, okay, sweetheart, this little lady. He says, Call your husband and and come here. And she goes, husband, uh, I, I don't have any husband. And he says, well, that's the truth. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not even your husband. So you've at least spoken the truth. And the woman said to him, I think this is grand. Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet, you know. <laughs> Don't you love it? Whoa, I think you know something about me. <laughs> you know, uh-oh. I, I love that. It's one of my favorite lines in the scripture. Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. <laughs> You've got me figured out. And then she says, but if you're a prophet, let me just take advantage. You know, it's like, okay, great. You're a prophet? I can't wait. <laughs> I got some questions to ask you. It reminds me of, you know, I'm an intercessor. So everyone says, if they introduce me, Vicki is the intercessor. Great. I've got a problem. <laughs> Would you pray for me? I'm sick. Would you pray for me? People come up to me. Oh, you're the intercessor? Oh, great. You're the intercessor lady? Great. I mean, you know, let me talk to you. And so here's what he's saying is, you're the prophet? Oh, grand. I, I needed to talk to a prophet. Uh, here's, here's the deal. Here's my question. She says in verse 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and your people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. In other words, where are we going to worship? I mean, you know, if, if, since you're a prophet, you know the answer to this. So, should we worship here or should we worship there? Which is a place? And this is a Samaritan woman. So, Samaria is the West Bank, for those who aren't keeping up with all the, <laughs> how Bible relates to modern day. This is the West Bank. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. Just like Jesus doesn't answer the question. You know, just like, that's, he's saying, you're asking me a question that really doesn't matter. This is not a significant question. Now, I know that you religious people are arguing over whether to worship here or worship there. That's, that's not the question. That's not the issue, he says. Don't, don't fight and argue and disagree over which mountain you're going to worship on. Because verse 22, you worship that which you don't even know. And we worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So he's saying right there, Jews at least know that they're worshiping God the Father. Samaritans I'm not so sure about. But an hour is coming, in verse 23, and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. 
for such people, the Father, what? Seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So my number one, Jesus is seeking after who? Worshippers. He's looking for them. What kind of worshipers? Those who will worship in spirit and truth. Now that word seek is not the common thing. He says, this is not common. Not everybody worships me in spirit and truth. But I'm telling you, I'm looking. Is there somebody out there who will worship me in spirit and in truth? With the truth of the word, with the understanding of who I am, by the spirit of God in them, not just out of their mind, but out of the very depths of their spirit, will they worship me? That's who I'm looking for. Jesus says, that's who I want to meet. I'm looking for those people. I'm not looking for the ones who worship me on this mountain or that mountain. I'm not looking for the Jew or the Gentile. Wrong question. I'm looking for the one who will worship me. In spirit and in truth. It has nothing to do with the place. It has to do with your heart. Where you're at. And Jesus is, and I'm seeking those. I'm seeking them all over the world. I'm looking for them in Korea. I'm looking for them in America. I'm looking for them in Iran. By the way, I just heard a report. Underground church in Iran is booming. Exploding. God's doing grand things in Iran. So pray because Israel doesn't like them, folks. I would be, I would not be surprised if Israel, you know, bombed them in 2010. Their, 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 their nation um, is dependent on them not having a, a nuclear weapon. So, little side there. But, you know, pray for the believers in Iran. They're growing. God is looking at those in Iran who will worship in spirit and truth. And he's looking for those in China and he's looking for those in South Africa. And he's looking for those in Mexico and Canada and America. He's looking for the young and the old. He's looking for the Baptists and the Pentecostals. He's looking for all and any who worship him in spirit and in truth. That's one kind of person. Let me give you the second one. Comes in a, the book of Ezekiel, one of the prophets. And to kind of set this up a little bit, Ezekiel 22, 21, and 22. Basically, is a list of the sins that the people of Jerusalem have committed against God and, and the leaders and priests have committed against the people in their own city. And he goes and talks about the judgments. He talks about murder and idolatry, disobedience, mistreatment of their mothers and their fathers, abominations, uh, adultery, they have forgotten God. They, I mean, they, they, he says, I'm going to scatter you. You have profaned my name. You have not worshipped me. You have been in a land that is defiled. And verse 25 says, even the prophets in this country 
are devouring lives and stealing treasures and taking money. We can't, I can't trust the prophets. Verse 26, the priests are deceived. They've done violence to the law. They've profaned the holy things. Their job was to show the difference between the holy and profane, and they're entering into the profane. The priests themselves, they've not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. They've, they hide their eyes from my Sabbaths. There you go. Verse 27, now you've already got the prophets, the priests, and now we've got the princes or kings. They're like wolves tearing at the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives. They have gained dishonestly. The prophets have smeared whitewash, false vision, divining lies. The people have practiced, verse 29, oppression, committed robbery. They've wronged the poor and the needy. They've oppressed the sojourner without justice. I mean, these, okay, they're in bad shape. They're committing sin after sin after sin, and they're being led by their prophets, their priests, and their kings, their princes. They're leading them into evil, wicked sins and idolatry. And then he says, verse 30, And I sought, seeked, searched for. Same word, okay? Jesus, here it is. God's saying, I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall that had been torn and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found what? No one. Not a one. Who is he seeking? Who is he looking for? An intercessor. An intercessor is one who stands in the gap, stands between. We have mistaught and misused the word intercessor to be prayer. prayer. A person who prays is not always an intercessor. An intercessor is one who stands in the gap. Okay, It's the position you have makes you an intercessor. Do you understand what I'm saying? In the Bible, let me see if any of you learned this like I learned it. In Hebrews, it says, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us, right? And I think it's verse 25 in uh, Hebrews 7. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. How many of you have been taught that means Jesus is praying for you every day? Okay, that's not what it means. Okay, now I thought that the first 20 years of my Christian life, so I'm not going to blame any of you or the people who taught you because that's not what it means. What it means is Jesus is standing before the Father in the gap between you and the Father. Okay? His position is between you and the Father. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father God forever. Forever. Okay? All of the other ministries Jesus did on earth for three years, intercession and prayer that he did on earth, he continued into heaven. He's still making intercession for us. He's still standing in the gap on our behalf. He's still standing in position before the Father for you and for me. Okay? And for my city and my country and my husband's business who I pray for. Okay? And other people's businesses and governments and presidents, etc. As we lift those names and enjoin with Jesus... In the role of intercession, we're standing in the gap before the Father and whatever we're praying for. 
So many people say, I would like to pray better, but I don't know what to say. Well, you know what? It's not what you say. It's the position you take. That's the important part of intercession. Where are you standing when you pray? Okay? When I pray for her, you, you, don't have, you can stay right there. Just hand me, give me your hand. When I pray for her, and I pray to the Father on her behalf. What's your name? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for Mandy. Father, I ask that every hole in Mandy's heart would be filled. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would come and be the lover of her soul. Lord, where she is sought to be loved more than any other, Lord, I ask that you would stand in the gap and be the lover for Amanda, for Mandy. Reach out, Father, supernaturally. Reach out by revelation. Reach out and dance with her, Lord God. Sing with her, Lord Jesus. And I pray for her. And I intercede on her behalf. Amen. Do you see? I'm just standing in the gap. Is someone sick in here? Someone doesn't feel good? Who doesn't feel good? Okay. What's your name? Okay. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus and I lift up Paul. Father, I, uh, I stand in the gap where he is not feeling well. Lord, I ask for healing to come. Father, I speak words of life. I speak words of wholeness. I speak words of healing to him. That, Father, I ask that you would come and bring and send your healing power to Paul in the name of Jesus. That no longer would he be sick. No longer would he feel the ailment. Father, release him from the spirit of iniquity and infirmity. And release him now in Jesus' name. And bring your healing power. Amen. Okay, that's standing in the gap. Okay, I'm standing before the Father, asking on Paul's behalf. That's, and in Ezekiel, it says, this nation, this capital city of Jerusalem, has been corrupt and sinned for years and years. And I'm looking. I'm seeking. Is somebody out there? Will somebody intercede? Will someone stand in the gap where the walls are broken down in that city, where the leaders aren't even taking their role? Would somebody just come? I'm looking. I'm searching. If you look up that word search, I'm seeking. I'm begging. I'm looking. Please, somebody stand in the gap. You know, and I ask you today, when Jesus... Let me just say, when the Father's in the heavenlies, and he looks on Saul, and he says, I see a lot of corruption. I see sin. I see sexual improprieties. I see people who are overworked and zealous for the wrong things. I see people abandoning their children. I see people who strive after material things and not after godly things. I want to send my judgment to Saul. But before I do, is there somebody in Saul who will stand in the gap? Is there somebody who will stand up for your city? When he looks down, when he says, is there somebody here who will say, I'll pray for the mercy of God. I'll stand.
stand up and pray and ask God to not send mercy, but to not send judgment, but to send your mercy, God. I'll stand and ask that the walls be rebuilt in the city. Will someone do that? Will it be you? I can tell you this. I see in the gap for Austin, Texas, and Tiberius, Israel. God, if you're looking down from heaven and you're seeing my city, I'm telling you, I'm standing there. Sometimes others are with me. Sometimes I feel like nobody's with me. But I'm standing there. And I'm asking God for mercy. Because my city deserves judgment. Because it's not much better than this. So the first kind of person that Jesus or that the Father would seek would be what? Worshippers. The second one? Intercessors. By the way, you guys in Korea, it's your calling. I'm not going to teach on this tonight, but every nation has, has a gift, and part of the gift of Korea is prayer. A gift is what you offer to other countries. It's something that's been given to you by God that's recognized by other nations. And I don't know if you ever go. Well, you do. America, Canada, other places, and they go, oh, you're Korean. Great, then you know how to pray. <laughs> and I find my, every, my friends always say, oh, you're with Koreans. Well, at least they know how to pray. And I go, well, not always. Not always, but it is the calling of your nation. One of them. I'm not saying just one, okay? But it is one of yours, um, is prayer. It is something you offer the nations. It's something you give away, something that blesses other nations. So that should be one that's strong for you. Understand that. Number three comes from Luke. Verse 10. Oh, how about verse chapter 19? Luke 19, verse 10. Did y'all ever sing that song about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. Did you ever sing that one when you were a little kid? Some of you did. Okay. Okay, this is a story of Zacchaeus getting up in the tree. He's a tax collector. I mean, he is just one. He's short, for one thing. Okay, so he's short, can't see, curious. Okay, he's curious. He's wondering if all these talks about Jesus, you know, are really the truth. So he says, he's heard Jesus is coming down the road, and he says, well, I want to I really see. I want to check it out. So he jumps up in this tree so he can check it out. And I love it. Jesus is walking, crowds surrounding him. And what does he do? But he looks up at the tree. And he sees this guy who's so thirsty, so hungering, a seeker. And he says, hey, come on down. I'm going to your house for dinner today. And everybody's like, are you kidding me? You cannot go to his house, the disciple said. Do you know what kind of person he is? Do you know what he's done? You can't associate with people like him. And he says, what do you mean? Jesus says. Verse 9. Today salvation has come to this house because he is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to and save that which was lost. He's coming to seek the things and the people who are lost. Number one was worshipers. Number two 
intercessors number three he's seeking the lost he's seeking the lost now I would think Jesus would look over the earth and go oh you're such a great preacher I love you I'm looking for you oh I love your service I'm looking for you boy you've worked so hard in school I'm looking for you boy you're such a wonderful servant of God I'm looking for you and he says no no I'm looking for the unsaved I'm looking for the lost. And we go, are you kidding me? We're, we're avoiding those people. You know, we're trying to get out of their way. We don't want to hang with those people. They're unholy and unrighteous. Jesus says, I like hanging with them. I like hanging with those guys. So with all the crowds around him, who does he want to go spend time with? The lost. We don't have that kind of heart. And that's why I wanted you to understand that Jesus is looking for them, seeking them. That same, that same seek is like, have you ever, have you ever lost your keys, your car keys, or your house key? And you work, you start looking through the house, and where do you look? Everywhere. Now, does it matter that you find a book? Doesn't matter. Does it matter if you find your glasses? Doesn't matter. Does it matter if you find your lost tennis shoes? Doesn't matter. Because you're only looking for one thing, right? You are looking for the keys that you lost and you have to find. And you look everywhere. I mean, and after you've looked everywhere where you think that you could have left them, then you look everywhere you think you could not have left them, like in the refrigerator. Because you never know how they might have jumped in that refrigerator or under your bed. You know, you are looking everywhere because you're desperate to find the keys. Okay? You've, done, you've been there. You've lost something and you've really, really sought, looked for it. That's this word seek. He is looking for it. He is searching for this. He is desperate to find this. He wants this. This is important to him. This is his priority. The worshipers. The intercessors. The lost. I have to tell you a funny story. I was asked to go to Argentina a few years back. This lady comes to me, and uh, I knew of her. I didn't know her personally. And we met, and um, she said, oh, Vicki, I've wanted to meet you. And I said, I said, oh, well, Mary, I want to talk to you. I've heard a lot about you. This, this is really an unbelievable story. <laughs> you may not think so, but anyway, she says, I really want to talk to you, but she says, I'm really busy. Um, it's early morning. This afternoon, I'm going to the prison on the outing. They're, they have this... Uh, outing, you know, they're piling people in buses, and we're all going to this prison, uh, and I'm going to actually be speaking at the prison. Would you come as my intercessor, and then on the way to the, in the bus, we can talk about, you know, the Lord and what God's been doing in our lives, and we can get to know one another, and you can be my personal intercessor, because I really would appreciate that one. Awesome, man, I'll come with you, no problem whatsoever. Great, she says, we'll be this afternoon. Good. So, I get, I get permission to leave the conference. And they said, Vicki, this is your afternoon off. If you want to go to the prison, go ahead and go. We'd love for you to go. Um, so I look on my list, and I go and ask the people at the conference. And they said, okay, it leaves at 1.30. I said, okay, no problem. So I show up at 1.25, and I get on the bus, and we wait, 
And I'm thinking, well, I don't see Mary. And 10 minutes goes by, I thought, well, it's Argentina time, you know, that's, they never, anything's on time. So I wait some more. And I'm waiting for Mary to come, and I'm waiting for Mary to come. Finally, this guy gets on the bus, and he says, okay, we're, we're leaving for the ladies' prison. And uh, it's, uh, we're getting ready to take off. I went, wait a minute, where's Mary? And they go, oh, she went to the men's prison. She already left 15 minutes, 20 minutes ago. And, oh, no, no, I, I have to be with Mary. They go, oh, Vicky, she's in, she's, I'm sorry, but she's in a different bus. They've left 20 minutes ago. They're, they went to a whole other part of town. You know, you're, you're, you missed it. I went, no, no, excuse me, excuse me. I have to be at the men's prison. I'm supposed to be with Mary. Now, I am, I'm loud. So I was like, now you have this entire bus with women. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm, I've got I've to be on Mary's bus. I've got to be on Mary's bus. I, I get up and I said, here, excuse me, ma'am. I'm going to take my stuff. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to get over to that prison where Mary is. I told her I'd be her intercessor, you know, and I'm, you know, this is kind of a special role for me. And I'm like, I need to be there. And he goes, you can't go with her. So do you want to go to the ladies prison? You can sit down or you can just get off the bus. And I go, you know, <laughs> I'm not happy about this. And the lady I was sitting next to is a little British lady who was about 70 years old. She says, oh, sweetheart, just come sit down. And I went, <laughs> I said, uh. So I sat down, and I am mad. I am, like, furious. I am, like, I cannot believe this. They didn't tell me there were two buses. What in the world would you send a woman to a men's prison? Here you've got this whole boat, busload of people here. We're all mostly women with a few men. How could she be teaching the men? She should be teaching the women. Da, 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 da. And I am mouthing off to this little British lady. She said, oh, calm down. What's your name? I said, Vicki. She said, just calm down. Just, you just never know how God might use you. And I go, he's not using me. I'm telling you, I'm not open to it. <laughs> so, I didn't know this, but there were two people from Alaska and some other country sitting across the hall. Like, they looked at each other and said, I wonder what God's going to do with that lady. <laughs> so God's going to use her somehow. And I'm like, oh, not me. So... Then the guy on the bus takes off and he says, okay, we're going to have a time to meet with the women prisoners and it's going to be an open time of sharing and I'm looking for about three or four people that are willing to share. How many of you would like to share a testimony or share something? Several hands went up. She said, why don't you share? You've been, and I went, I'm not sharing. I'm not talking. I'm not sharing. This isn't for me. I missed my bus. Okay, I'm telling you right there, I missed my bus. So zip is the word I'm not talking to anybody. I don't even know why I'm going now. I mean, you know, I, I shouldn't have just gotten off the bus. I was upset. Well, fortunately, it took over an hour to get there. So I, got, I was a little calmer, okay? By the time I arrived, we go in, and um, I'm amazed at this place. These women come in, and mo- many of them are young moms. They bring babies with them. And uh, they say it just takes a minor crime, you know, carrying drugs, some of them are drug dealers. Some of them are, have, been, have actually murdered or done um, robbery. And I'm like, oh, are you kidding? So we sit in this room, and there's like 45 of us. And there's maybe, probably maybe 50 of these inmates. They said, don't call them prisoners, inmates. So I'm just sitting on my bench, and they get up and one at a time, these four people 
share their testimonies and share something, and then they sing a song, and then they share something, and it's translated into Spanish, and someone else shares something. You know, God's really moving my heart. This is cool. And then the leader in the prison goes to the leader of the bus and says, we just found out we have 30 more minutes, or 20 more minutes. Um, Do you have somebody who could actually share something? So he turns around to the 45 of us who are sitting on these benches and says, hey, we're looking for somebody who can give a message. Can anybody really, like, say something? Maybe even with, like, a salvation message or something. Can anybody say something here? (laughs) And I immediately jump up and say, well, I'll do it. And the whole bunch just snickers. (laughs) We knew God would get her, (laughs) you know. So I get up, and what do I share about? I say... You know what? God's looking for three kinds of people. He's looking for people who worship him. He's looking for people who will intercede. And he's looking for people who are lost. And I said, I want to know if any of that's you. Are any of you ladies who are inmates? Do you want to worship God with all your heart and soul? Sing nonstop. Worship him from the depths of your being. And you know that God's looking for you? Would you stand up? We prayed. I said, how many of you want to pray? Intercede. Stand in the gap for others. Not for yourself. If that's you, would you stand up? They stood up. I said a prayer. got all translated into Spanish. I said, last thing. I said, I don't know what your condition is with God, but uh, he's looking for the lost. He's looking for the lost. That's the people who don't know him. I'm not talking about going to church and not going to church. I'm talking to people who don't know him as their Savior. He's looking for you. He's not resisting you. He's looking for you. If, If that's you, Would you stand up? Fifteen of them stood. The lady who was running the prison said, we've never had that before. I was actually more than that. I think it was like 25. She said, we've never done that. I'm like, I didn't know. (laughs) I'm clueless. This whole thing was a mistake, remember? I wasn't supposed to be there. This is like a big mistake. So I'd, I'd already spent already the last three hours telling God how I was in the wrong place and I was just a mistake. So... I prayed with them, and I remember the little gal that I prayed with, and she came up to me. And she said, I said, so do you want God to find you? And she said, oh, I don't know if that will work for me, she said, because I've done a lot of bad things. I've done a lot of really bad things and said some bad things and done bad things in my whole life. And I said, oh, I think Jesus is looking for you. She said, you think he could be looking for me? And I said, yeah. And she said, then would you tell him I want him to find me? Would you pray for me? Would you tell him I want him to find me today? And I went, yeah, he's looking for you today. Tell him I'm here. I want him to find me today. I've been lost. 
God makes me emotional just thinking about it. And I said, well, let me pray for you. And we went around and watched. And my team, I said, hey, you guys, all these people sitting here, you got to come help me. I can't pray for all these people. And so we started praying and doing ministry and just, wow, God just showed up. The power of God just came and people got saved and born again for the first time. And I share that to say, God uses us sometimes when we're really not willing. <laughs> when we resisted sometimes the hardest, God says, that's what I'm going to use you the most. You know, when we say, I, I'm not able, I can't do this. He says, I can if you'll let me. I went back, I found Mary at the conference. I said, oh, Mary, you're not going to believe what happened. I am so sorry. I missed your bus. I didn't know. She said, well, we had a great message, but you know what I heard? I heard people came to know Jesus in the ladies' prison. I said, they did. And she said, I said, how did the men's prison go? She said, well, I just gave a nice little lesson. We sang a couple songs. And I said, well, did you have any ministry? Oh, no. But the women's prison was powerful. And I said, yeah, it was. <laughs> I was there. You know, I was there. I kind of accidentally, it kind of happened. Uh, God had other things planned, I guess. You know? But I share that story to say that God is, when I looked at that little Hispanic Argentine inmate who had been in prison for several years and had several more years to go, and said, I can't be found. I've done too many bad things. And I said, no, Jesus, listen to me. He's looking for you. He's seeking you. He's looking for you. And she said, can he find me today? I want him to find me. And, and so I ask you today a couple things. Is Jesus looking for you? Are you one who worships in spirit and truth? Are you one who intercedes, builds up walls, and stands in the gap? Or are you lost and need to be found? And Jesus says, I'm looking for you. If you're one of those three people, would you stand up? Tell you what, I, I want you to get in the groups of like three. I'm not going to pray for each of you. I, I want you to turn around to a couple other people, get in groups of three, and just tell the person next to you which of those three groups, if you feel like God's looking for you, and pray for each other, okay? Ask God to give you an increase your heart for worship, for intercession, or for salvation, okay? I don't know if anybody is in this room who doesn't call Jesus their Lord and Savior, but if there is, I'm telling you, he's looking for you. That means he's not looking all around the rest of the room for all these wonderful Christians. He's going through, he's going through the earth looking for the lost, not the found. So he's looking for you. So I, I don't want you to be shy. If you're in that position, if you're a guest, if, you wanna, if you're in that place, turn to one of those three people and just say, would you pray for me tonight? So would you get in groups of three and pray for each other for about five or six minutes?
Well, Father, we thank you. Thank you that you're looking for us. Father, you look to and fro throughout the earth to find the ones whose hearts are turned toward thee. Father, let our minds be stayed on thee. Father, we worship what we know, but there's much of you we do not yet know. So, Father, we ask that you bring greater revelation of who you are so that our worship would be grander, fuller, with greater truth, with more spirit. Father, I thank you for the gift of Korea. I thank you for so many Korean Americans. Father, I thank you that there's not a nation I go to where there's not Koreans. Father, I thank you that I meet with the Koreans in the Middle East. Father, I thank you that I meet with the Koreans in Africa. I thank you for the ones I've met in Indonesia, Canada, Central and South America. Father, they touch the globe. Father, for part of the reason is you've called them to pray. You've called them to be intercessors and stand in the gap. To be selfless. To see the sin in a land. Not to judge it. But to stand in the gap on it, on your behalf. Father, I pray when you look at the nations that you will look down. And you will look out and see the Koreans who intercede. Father, give us wisdom. Help us understand our position as we stand in the gap for others. Father, help us understand how to stand in the gap for cities, for businesses, for people groups, for entire nations. Father, we know that you love the lost. Father, we confess we do not. We actually love our brothers and sisters in Christ more than we love the lost. It's more fun to spend time with them on Friday night fire than it is to spend with people who don't know you. Father, break our heart with what breaks your heart. Father, let us reach out in the same way that Jesus reached out to Zacchaeus. That when we're walking with our friends and there's many round about that we share much in common with, we'll look up and find a seeker sitting in a tree who's curious and wants to know if Jesus is real. Father, let us be hospitable. Let us reach out our hand and say, come, because Jesus is looking for you today. Give us your heart, O Father. Father, I pray for these young people. Father, because as we know what interests and compels you, Father, we know more about you. And Father, I'm believing that today, as I shared just about the things and the people that you seek after, that we will realign our priorities to your priorities. That we will no longer spend our energy running after things, our position, or, th- or other 
activities that consume us, but instead we'll be looking for opportunities to worship and intercede and evangelize. Father, let our heart be closer to yours. Father, I pray also for the message of love today from a mother. Father, let us carry those words to our friends. Let us be instruments of life. Father, I pray that as we have friends who's have, who have birthdays, Lord, let us speak a birthday message to them that they are loved and wanted and affirmed and treasured in your eyes. We love you, Lord. We are grateful, grateful, grateful. Father, I pray for the fruitfulness of this group. Father, there's lots of churches and lots of young people, but Father, many lives are not do not bear fruit. Father, I ask for fruit to be filled on these trees. Father, let them grow and be like trees of righteousness that bear much fruit. Father, let the fruit, let their limbs be limp because the fruit is so heavy. Father, let everyone here bear fruit and look back over this year. As we, as we come to the end of 2009, they will say, what was the fruit that was born this year? Lord, although they may not be having natural fruit as in having children, but Lord, spiritual fruit, what was the fruit that came forth this year? And Father, let them see the fruit that you see in their lives. Father, I thank you for the disciples that are being made in this place and developed. Father, raise them up. Strengthen us, Lord, to be a mighty army. To be a mighty army on your behalf. Father, it only took 12. Only took 12 disciples. Actually, 11. Because one betrayed you. But Lord, I this room is filled with people of faith. So, Father, as you touch them, Father, let them touch others and reach others. Father, that the anointing comes, but not for them. But, Father, for ministry. So, Father, I thank you. Give them opportunities and doors to open round about them even as they walk down the street. Lord, let them speak the truth. Let them declare the truth. Father, I thank you. If you're a leader in this group, would you raise your hand? Uh, Would y'all stand? Would the leaders stand? Father, I ask for wisdom from above for these leaders. Father, wisdom that they know not. Wisdom that comes for people of, of age. Father, of elders. Father, I ask for young people to have that kind of wisdom. 
Father, I ask that you use the even the infants to speak words of praise and strength and anointing. So, Father, use your young people, Father, in the name of Jesus. Use these to lead, Father, and to speak life and hope and truth. Father, teach them to be bold. Father, that's not a Korean trait. That's a spirit trait. Okay? So, Father, help them move outside of any of shyness or timidity that would come from their nature or their natural flesh and instead be bold in you. Father, I thank you for the boldness that comes with the Spirit of God upon these leaders. Father, I ask that you endow them with truth. Truth will dispel a lie. Father, I thank you that they wear a belt of truth that holds a lot of that armor together. But Father, keep that truth ever before them, Father. And let them speak and declare the truth to dispel every lie of the enemy that they would hear. Father, I heard a lot today about the culture of Korea does this and the culture does that. And this is the way it's done in Korea. Father, I ask that the truth of God be spoken. That would dispel what happens in the culture that's not of God. Father, let him speak and proclaim and declare it from the high place. Father, I thank you that you put on many of their hearts mission. Mission in the sense that they will go out from here and share with others in other lands. Father, send them forth. Give them the finances, the gifts. Father, send them forth. Man, the needs are so great. But the harvest is so ripe. Father, let send these to be laborers in your harvest. Would you, O God, would you... Would you handpick some of these, Lord, to go forth out of their comfort zone, out of this wonderfully warm, comforting, growing environment to go out and be in a lonely place and to share life with people who are desperate? Father, would you send them forth? And then, Father, I pray for the fire that's visited them I pray for the fire to tap into the Korean church. Father, we love the Korean church because you love it. But in many ways, it's dying. So, Father, blow on. Blow, Lord. Lord, you know, it it says in Timothy, or it says, um, uh, hold on, I'm going to tell you this verse. First Timothy. Hmm. Maybe it's Second Timothy. Okay. And for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. First, God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity or intimidation, but of power and love and a sound mind. Okay, when God says, stir up that gift, the word there really means kindle, like a fire where you have a little kindling, and you know when you and your fire starts with little pieces of wood, what do you do? You blow on it. 
okay? It's getting ready to go out, okay? The, the little wood's going out. It's there. It's been a burning fire, but now it's going out, and it needs the Spirit of God through you and me. It needs our gifts to blow, to blow on that fire so it does not go out, to blow on that kindling afresh so that the... And, Father, I ask that this group would blow and kindle afresh Father, the church with fire of Korea. Father, that they would not isolate themselves, but instead go forth and blow on the church. Father, that it may come alive in Christ. Father, I thank you, Father, that the spirit of timidity, that's intimidation and fear is gone. Father, from these young people, Father, from their leaders, that they will step out Be bold and be strong in the things that you've spoken to him. Father, I ask for the prophetic gifting to come in fullness. Father, that they would hear the things that you would speak and declare them to come forth. Okay, everybody look at me for a second. God speaks to all of us, okay? This does not mean that the things he says to us go through us and we speak out, okay? Most of what God says to me, I never say to anybody else. When God speaks to me about you, I may never tell him. Okay? Unless God says, now I want you to say it. And so many times when people are learning the prophetic, they go, oh gosh, God showed me something about you. I got to say it. No, not necessarily. (laughs) Most of the times God speaks to a prophet, it's for them to pray it. Sometimes... Sometimes it's for you to speak it. Okay? So you need to really ask, along with the gift, along with every gift, you need to ask, what do I do with this now? <laughs> okay? It's like if I were to hand you a present, you have to say, okay, do, do you want me to open it now? Or later? Or what do you want me to do with this? Or do I give it away? What do I, you know, what do I do? So we ask the same question. God gives you something? Okay, Lord, what do I do with it? <laughs> okay, speak it. Now, later, write it down. Whatever he says to do. Okay, but you're going to see an increase in the prophetic operating in your group. Uh, And with that increase, just remember one of the problems is people get a prophetic word and they just declare it or speak it out. Be careful. I want you to speak it out at the right time under the right direction of your leader. But just remember when you speak those things out, make sure it's the right time. Okay. Many times it's not the right time because you don't have the right heart to deliver it. Okay? Your heart's not ready to deliver it. You, you, you don't have the heart for it. So you just got to hold it until you can do it. Until your heart is in a condition where you can share it. Sometimes the Lord shows me something and I think, whoa, well, I know a big secret. This is cool. I can't wait to say this. God says, don't share it. I'm like, why not? <laughs> well, Vicki, you're just a little bit too boastful and prideful about it right now. So we're just going to, you better just keep your mouth shut. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? See, so as this prophetic gifting comes, and y'all can sit down, but as the prophetic gifting comes to your group and and to you individually, expect it, okay? Ask for it. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may. Amen, okay? So ask for it. But that doesn't mean you just go around prophesying everything. You understand me, okay? You hold it in your heart. And you ask the Lord, what do I do with it? How do I receive this? 
What is you have to have the right attitude, the right time. It comes with a whole bunch, a whole list of things. We just think I got the word, I got it. That's it needs way more than that. You know, uh, it takes the right heart. I, you know, I did speak a powerful message at that Argentine prison, but it took me a long time to get to where I could we had the right heart to where I could deliver it. Okay, I mean, if I volunteered to do it right off, my heart wouldn't have been right. My heart wasn't there. You need to wait till your heart matches, you know. Um, and it should always be a word of encouragement, edification, comfort. It should be an encouraging word. Um, when you give a directional word, I don't know why I'm sharing all this, but if when you give a directional word, you really need to have somebody else with you, a leader with you. When you say, look, I think you need to quit your job. You know, don't, don't do that, okay? You know, not that God hasn't said something to you. You know, one of the things I try to refrain from doing, I try really hard, is, when, is to not tell people who they're going to marry, you know? <sighs> and whenever I, whenever I go, to, go to young people, I mean, whenever anybody finds out, oh, Vicky's prophetic, great, one at a time. You see that guy over there, am I supposed to marry him? Hey, did you see that chick? I've been dating her for two months. Am I supposed to marry her? You know what I mean? Everybody wants to know, is that the one for me? And I'm like, if I know, I'm not going to say. It's not up to me to say, you know? Um, one of my really good friends who's a missionary, I have known for 22 years. She is 44 years old. Uh, she started dating a guy who's never married, neither have never married, and I got an email from her at 4 o'clock. They're engaged. Now, I've known this for a year, but I couldn't say anything. <laughs> she, was, she was wanting to marry another gay, guy, and I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't say anything then. So when she told me they broke up, I went, oh, thank you. She says, you mean you knew it all along? And I go, yes, I knew it all along, but I can't say it, you know? So you can't, you have to be very careful when you offer words that speak into the direction of someone's life. It's much better if God speaks to you and someone says, hey, I really think I'm supposed to take this job and I'm supposed to move to so-and-so. And you can go, yes, yes, I've prayed for you and I felt I can confirm that for you. Do you understand the difference? Instead of going up to someone and saying, you're supposed to move. You need to quit your job. Okay. Um, I just, I just, not that people don't do that, but I would, I would, I generally don't. Okay. So those are just a few things about the prophetic that I think might help some of you as you go in this. Because God's going to use you more and more. The other thing is the prophetic works great with unbelievers. Just Great. Okay, I mean, so don't think it's only, you know, for people you know. I mean, people who you don't know, just say, hey, you know, I just saw you on the road. And, you know, or it's the waitress at the, you know, at the restaurant. Hey, you know, I was sitting here and I love Jesus. And he just wanted to let you know that he loves you or whatever. You know, you study Patricia King. Uh, I'll never forget Patricia King said, God, I want the gift of prophecy. She said for one year, she went out on the street and she had the same prophetic word for each person. God, what do you want to say to that person? Just tell him I love him. Okay. Jesus says he loves you. Okay. And they would just weep. And then she'd say, oh, go to that one. Oh, uh, by the way, God has a word for you. God, he, uh, Jesus says he loves you. She said, for one year, one year, my only prophetic word that came from my mouth was Jesus loves you. You know? I said, that's right. It is a good word. But she said, God showed her who? And she said, I led people to the Lord. People wept. People came to know God. 
people return to Jesus over and over and over again with a simple prophetic word like that, okay? Because she was led by the Spirit. So lean into the Spirit of God. You're learning that stuff. I don't need to teach you. You're learning it. Hallelujah. Keep leaning into the Spirit of God, asking Him everything and every, everything you do and everywhere you go. And, and He'll direct your path. Um, you're on the right track, and I'm excited, excited for you guys. Um, you're, um, pray for passion. Um, we meet in a month uh, in America. Um, it's an important time for American students. Hope to have around 24,000. Um, it'll be a good thing because we've got some people from England, including Matt Redman, I think. A couple other guys from England are coming, and this will be the first time Passion's going to join with Hillsong. 16 from Hillsong are coming. I'll have David Crowder and Charlie Hall and Christine Knuckles and Christian Stanfield and uh, 16 from Hillsong and John Piper and Beth Moore and Andy Stanley and Francis Chan. It's going to be grand. Um, and fireworks and the whole, it'll be explosive, you know, it'll be, it'll be grand. Um, but pray because it's a, it's a time where young people can meet God. A lot of people who come are lost, okay? They're seeking, they're lost. I have uh, 72 intercessors right now who are praying 24 hours a day on my team, so I'm excited about that. A lot of them are moms and dads who are coming on my team because their children are college age and lost and have turned away from God. And they said, can I come and pray for the youth of the world, including my own? I said, yeah. Yeah, we want people like you. Yeah. You know, so um, it's an opportunity for a lot to go wrong and a lot to go right. But unless the Spirit of God comes, Louis says he'll, he'll cancel it. Okay? I mean, Louis, he's just, I want the presence of God to come. And um, we'll see what that means this time. I'm hoping they'll do some silent services. I don't know if you've ever been to a passion event where it was done in silent. Silence. But it's kind of cool when you get 20,000 people together and no one speaks for a couple hours. And no music and no sound. It's like, I didn't think it could happen. And the only way people know how to find where their friends are is they all have to text each other. Where are you sitting? Section 19G, you know. <laughs> I'll find you. And they find their spot. And Louie types a little bit up on the computer. And people read it. I'll never forget what he said. Let's, would everybody stand? He types, would everybody stand and sing? without words, without opening your mouth, <laughs> without music. <coughs> and we sang the heart of worship. I'll give you more than a song, than a song in itself. You know, and it, he just typed it out and people would sing. And after about the second verse, people began, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. And young people were standing up, tears flowing down their face. Couldn't hear a thing. Thousands and thousands and thousands of young people. So um, we'll do something pretty 
who knows what they'll come up with this time. They're one of the most creative bunch of people I've ever met. But um, if you'll remember to pray for them, because you guys and those guys are the future of our nations. Can I have about five minutes for a report? Five more minutes? Report time, okay? I just got back from just an amazing meeting with a meeting with apostolic leaders. Ten. Only ten guys that have decided to form a community, a collaboration ter- team, where they talk to each other about what they do. And I try not to cry. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I, the first two times I went, I just had to leave the room. I, I'm, I'm the only woman. Ten men and me. I go to pray for them. I don't know how I got invited to this. I think it was an accident, and they liked me, so I just get to come back. But I can't say anything, and I have to sit behind them. And, uh, <laughs> and the leader comes at every break, and he says, how's it going, Vicki? What do you think we should do? And he listens to me, amazingly enough. Anyway, um, some of the things that are happening, the churches are exploding in areas where there's persecution. But the persecution is great. Out of these ten leaders, most are under severe persecution. One is being... Um, stalked by the KGB and they've told that they're going to him that they are going to kill his children and kidnap his wife. So he moved his four children out of the country to another country for their safety and then the mother and dad moved back to this country to serve God because he said my call didn't change. And so he Skypes his kids every day and the children are being raised over Skype. Pretty tough. The oldest one, I think, is 18 or 19. It was raised in his three younger brothers and sisters. That's sacrifice. Without, I, don't, I don't understand that. I can't do it. Couldn't do that with my kids. Um, got another guy who's number five on Al-Qaeda's hit list. So he has to hide every time he goes in and out of the country. Um, planting, his church is about 25,000. Planting, I don't even, I don't even know, thousands of churches. Um, in a church that's a um, strong Muslim country, uh, he says it's now about 20% believers. But he says it can't be advertised or spoken about because the funding of Iraq, Iran, the wealthy uh, Saudi Arabia who funded their country would stop all funding if they thought the Christians were taking over. <coughs> Talked to a guy responsible for huge church planting efforts in China. As you know, China is out of control. The kingdom of God is taking over there. Okay? I mean, it's just out of control. Uh, the, they can't, I said, how many churches have you planted? Well, it's slowing down. We only got 612 new churches this year. But he, said, he was worried. He said, because now the people are moving. He says, churches... It's, it's been a rural. Most of the villages are consumed with the body of Christ and churches are growing and plant, being planted, the home church movement. But these people, the China is moving into the cities, becoming urbanized. I believe um, the capital there in, in China, the government has said they want to build a minimum of 20 cities a year for 1 million people or more. Can you imagine just building... I'll just build a one million dollar, one million person city and another one million person city and another. Let's just build 20 of those in 2009 and 20 more in 2010. And we'll just get all these multi-million dollar, multi-million 
people cities. So all these people in the country are moving in. And when they move into the city, their little home church doesn't fit. And so many are turning from their faith. And so they have not, the Chinese church has not been well developed and don't know how to function well in the cities. Um, I will tell you this, the government, you have the three self-church, the the home church movement, and then there's another church movement. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. But the western part of China, where a lot of Muslims are, a lot of non-readers, illiterate people, a lot of the poor are, um, the government is wanting, are you ready for this? Wanting Christianity to grow. Um, they're no longer confiscating Bibles. Um, they're wanting Christianity to grow because when people become Christian out of a Muslim background, they become peaceful. <laughs> and law abiding. Wow. So the government is saying, we want those Christians to come now. We're finding out that they obey the laws. <laughs> That's a cool thing, Anna. So they're not willing to become believers yet, but they're God, God's doing some amazing things. They said, but pray for the church in China. The growth is slowing down um, significantly, and they're looking for answers of how to reach the urban areas. Uh, India, the south is evangelized. Lots of places in the south, tremendous movements of God in the south, hoping to have 20 million new Christians by the year 2020 in one movement. <laughs> I didn't count the other movements. But I have a friend who was a businessman, and he said to his uncle, who was in charge of, I think, the Assembly of God, huge, huge ministries in the South, said, I don't want to go to the South. I'm moving to the North. And I go, no, 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 he says. It's dangerous there. You can't, there are no churches in the North. And they said, oh, no, we're going to move to the North. i got to see churches planted where there are none. Because there are 500 million people in the northern parts of India, Bangladesh, you know, that region in there, who do not know the name of Jesus, have never heard the name. And they want to know. But the church planters, he's planting four churches a day. It's pretty incredible. Uh, <laughs> I can't. I mean, in my American mind, that just doesn't function. You know, my church planted three churches in 25 years, so you mean four churches a day doesn't fit. Uh, four churches a day, but the persecution from the Hindu militants is severe. So the ones who are coming to their aid are the Muslims. So the Muslims of India are also under persecution from the Hindu militants. And so they are coming along the Christians. He said uh, it was about two years ago his car was mobbed. He was pulled out of his car. Uh, the driver was pulled out. They had machetes about to kill them. And the Muslims came and rescued them. How about that? God uses all kinds of partners, right? <laughs> and intervenes. But um, our meeting started on Monday. And we said, how's everybody going? He said, not so good. He said, four of my major church planting leaders were murdered over the weekend. Left with wives and children. Everybody's scared. They've threatened all the group. By yesterday, he said, well, Vicki, the police have now come and are providing protection for 50 families 
and they're standing around the clock and trying to protect 50 of the families in this one area. But the harvest is so ripe, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and But he sh they share the name of Jesus, and it's just amazing. He was telling me they come to know God, but he's leading. He says, my vision is not to lead individuals to the Lord or villages to the Lord. I'm asking for caste, whole caste. Let's just take a million at a time. So we are talking to caste leaders, bringing reconciliation between caste and the government. And he says, we want to see the caste leaders come to know Jesus and turn to their caste of minimum one million up to 50, 100 million and say, all of you people in my caste, we are now following Jesus Christ. Is that cool? That is the movement and some of the things that are happening there. The one thing about, uh, I understand the fastest growing church in the world. Are you know where it is? Nepal. Nepal. Is that cool? So God's doing some amazing things there. Um, oh, Middle East, tough, tough area. I mean, you can't even whisper the name of Jesus. You know, just you, you're just put in jail. Um, so I was in Egypt. I can't really say all the places I've been, but it, they're, they're, they're lonely, hungry. Uh, I will tell you, the Egyptian workers that I worked with all have a heart for Somalia, Sudan, Eritrea, Liberia. Um, they went on a trip last year. Their van was stopped. Their ministry van was stopped. Four of them were killed. Two of them were shot. And they barely got to the hospital. And they said, so we need to go back. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You don't go back. Well, we'll go on a different route this time. I'm like, you don't, you don't go back to that place, you know, when you, you lose the people on your team. You've been on mission fields, and I don't know how Christian would feel if he took some of you guys out on a mission team and the van was stopped and four of you were shot dead. You know, it's not so cool. I'm not so sure the families of this church would let you go back. But my guy said, we got to go back. I remember he told me this story. He said, I went into one of these villages. They're all Muslims. And I said, hey, can you tell me something about yourself? What's your name? Uh, and they said, do you mean my Christian name? And they go, you have a Christian name? They go, oh, yeah. Most of us in this village were all Christians, but we were forced to become Muslims. But we were Christians, so we're Christians in hiding, but we can't say anything. There's no pastor. He was killed. There's no leaders. They were pagan. There's no Bibles. But, in, but I have a Christian name. I don't, oh, God knows their names. God knows their names. The European church is being challenged big time. Their heritage, Christian heritage and Protestantism, Catholicism is failing them. Many are adopting. I just, I, I just was overwhelmed by some of the things there. But there is a remnant that God is breathing on and blowing on. And they've decided that, you know what, I think we're just going to start going to these new age fairs. And instead of telling fortunes, we'll just tell them what God said. So... They're putting, setting up booths in New Age fairs and all the New Age events in Europe, which is very popular, and sharing the word of the Lord. So God's doing good things there. Uh, America is 
America. <laughs> Pray for the land of the free. Uh, uh, it's, it's struggling. The church is struggling there. Um, but it is, it is the, th- the number three on the list of the receiving nations of the most missionaries in the world. Number three. So missionaries are flooding now into America. Number one sending country for missionaries is not America, and it is not Korea. You know what it is? They're going out by the thousands. Hmm? Brazil. It's passed us up. Okay? Brazil is raising up people born again out of Catholicism, and they're sending people throughout Central and South America and around the nations. And you know who they love? They love the Middle Easterners. They love all these people. These Hispanic people love the Middle Eastern people. Their cultures are close and they want to go evangelize the Middle East. Um, And we're like, hallelujah. Okay? You take them. Okay? God's planting churches in the West Bank. They're under threats. Um, They were getting threats almost daily. Um, so, you know, pray for those who are wanting to see the Muslims in the West Bank come to know Jesus and also in Gaza. Um, we've got some people working there as well. So God's doing things everywhere, every nation, every people group. Do They need faith. I want to speak to you some about the Koreans in the Middle East who have such a heart. I just, I just, it, I just never seen such wonderful, precious people. They have to learn Arabic, okay? It, that is not like English, and it is not at all like Korean, okay? It is tough for them. The sounds are just, they can't even make all the same sounds. So if you've had trouble doing the Korean English thing, I promise you, they have really struggled learning Arabic. And every time I go, they pray for that, because the Korean one is, you know, up and down. Uh, their, their support has waned and ebbed and flowed, and they haven't had the funds. Many Koreans there are being targeted in the Middle East. If you're Korean, you must be a missionary. Doesn't matter if you're a doctor or a nurse or in humanitarian aid or worked in the hospital there for 20 years. You're out because Koreans are marked. And uh, it's kind of a good thing, right? At least you're known for Jesus, you know. But um, you need to pray for those folks because many are being kicked out. Um, and, And pray for their families, pray for their language, pray for their finances. Um, it's it's pretty amazing. I met a friend in one of the Middle Eastern countries. She's my spiritual daughter. She's Korean. And she says, Vicki, I have a good report. I said, what is it? She says, I have fruit. I have fruit. I said, you do? She goes, well, when? And she goes, about a month ago. <laughs> my first one, my first one, I got to pick fruit. Uh, she works in a... Up in, a, in a community that's absolutely just so close to the gospel. We don't know of any, any non-believer. And she picked fruit. I knew what she meant. She found a believer. She led one of them to the Lord. Hallelujah. She's got fruit. Okay? So, you know, I mean, it's there. But they need your prayers. They need your support. I, I just can't even tell you how much. It's, it's all around the world. So you have, I know you have missionary friends. You know, we don't use that word, by the way, in the Middle East at all. If I walk in, I can say I'm a terrorist, and that's okay. If I say I'm a missionary, 
Can't enter, can't enter Israel. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. If I said I was a terrorist, they would say, well, where are your guns and your weapons? We'll take those and you're welcome to enter. But um, if I say I'm a missionary, you can't come in. That's it. Can't, can't enter Israel, can't enter the Middle East if you're a missionary. We call it the M word. Um, it's, it, it's considered a curse word. It's, it's terrible. It's terrible. And if you're labeled that, it's your, you lose your job, your kids can't stay in school, your car's confiscated. You know, it's bad, bad, bad if you're an M. So we don't have M's. And um, so I know that's just a little perspective in a few minutes, but I just wanted to share because I know a lot of you guys pray for nations just like you prayed for Iran, and you don't get to talk enough to people to hear and see some of these reports. And since I just heard some from this week when I was in Manila, and I was just like, wow. God, these are the things you're really doing. I'm like, we don't see it. I don't hear it. But most of the people I met with, they don't even say their names. And you don't know their names. If I told you them, you wouldn't know who they were. Because they don't like doing the conference thing. They like, as they say, forget the conference thing. We're just got to be out building the kingdom and leading people to the Lord. We've got to fulfill the Great Commission while others do conferences. So let somebody else do conferences. We're going to go get the lost saved. Uh, So that's what they're doing. It's kind of interesting. Thank you for my opportunity to be here. It was a blessing for me. Amen.